Maybe I should turn it on. Hey, this morning, um, as the... You should wait like three more seconds. (laughs) I do it during the announcements, not when you speak. Um, But the bread, the bread, the bread was passed as well. The cup was passed. And, um, you know, I was sitting there waiting to partake of the cup. And my wife just took the whole tray and bypassed me. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm worthy. He made me worthy. She said, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But um, I thought, you know, it is nice that he has made us worthy. If you're a believer, you've confessed your sins. You are worthy to come into the presence of God. You are worthy to partake. The only reason any of us can speak um, on behalf of who he is is because he has done all the work as we've shared this morning. There is... An old school Christian song by Don Francisco. I'm going back. The, the song is basically, um, she's beautiful to me. It is a song that we will read today in Luke chapter 7. It's the story of a woman who comes and uh, anoints Jesus' feet with her tears and pours oil. And uh, Jesus has words to say to the Pharisee whose house he's in. Um, but the reason I wanted to share that this is one of those stories, and maybe even want to hear this song that kind of recenters uh, myself personally, and um, just making sure that I am, and it sounds funny, more like the sinful woman who's repentant than uh, the Pharisee who really just misses the whole thing. So let's read in Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing from which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. He said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. She gave me, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. She did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. I'm sorry, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word um, and for all the uh, things we might learn of who you are and your character and who we are and how to live and and what uh, righteousness truly is, um, what grace and love truly are. Thank you so much for showing us and being patient with us as you teach us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would again teach us this morning the things that we would need to hear. May you do a, a miracle in which every heart is pricked uh, individually with what they need to hear even this morning. We thank you uh, for this time. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. I just want to kind of look at the two characters in the story. One, a Pharisee who's asked him over for dinner. And a woman, a woman who is known as a sinner in the city. What is the purpose of this woman coming? It's simply to repent. She wants to come and admit she's been wrong. And she wants to bless the Lord. She is not what we call a little sinner. She was someone who was known in the city as a sinner. When she walks into this room, everyone knows exactly who she is. She's most likely a prostitute. Most likely a woman who has sold her body over and over again. And just indecent acts. Not the, the top of the social ladder. Someone who has probably been used and abused. And not only has she done this stuff privately, it's pretty much been made public. For when she walks around town, everyone knows exactly what she's selling and who she is. This is the one who has come to repent. Her repentance is public. I don't want you to miss in the story that it takes huge boldness for her to come into this room. In fact, she really doesn't say anything as recorded in the story. She is trusting in the fact that Jesus would accept her. The story would go on to say that she loves him. If you can interpret that from the story. But boldness... I want to show you what this scene kind of looks like because sometimes we have a, a scene in our head that like Jesus is just kind of standing there and suddenly she's just kind of crying. Um, it says she was behind him. And so if you know in Jewish culture, typically there would be a table out here if we were all at dinner and the men would actually kind of lay down, almost propping themselves on a pillow and then leaning on their left and maybe grabbing food with their right. And it's kind of like everyone is around the table kind of reaching in and everyone's feet is pointing outward. Everyone's face to face and they're all kind of leaning this way. So now imagine the scene when there's, I don't know how many people around the table, this Pharisee, it's his house. He's about to serve the meal or have people serve it. 
The main person that's there, the invited guest, is Jesus. Everyone's kind of looking at where Jesus is. He's maybe laid down, propped, and his feet are pointing this way. And out of the blue, here comes the known sinner, the prostitute, probably, standing behind him as his feet might be laid out. And she just starts crying. And uh, washing his feet with her tears. It would be pretty bold to walk into that scene. There is a good chance, and it's kind of amazing that God didn't allow it to happen this way. Typically in those scenes, someone very quickly calls that person out and says something like, why are you here? Get away. No one wants you here. But for some reason, it doesn't happen that way. I also want to talk about the fact that her repentance not only is public, that she needs to repent because she is a big sinner, but that her repentance also costs her. No matter what they say or don't say, there is public humiliation for her doing what she's doing. Even at best, everyone in the room is at least acknowledging the reason she's crying, the reason she's doing this, is because she knows she messed up. It also cost her, because of the oil simply that she's pouring on his feet, Now, we don't know exactly what the oil truly was, but it's interesting. We know it's expensive. It really could be the oil that someone in her line of work would carry around to splash on themselves to entice other guys, saying, look, I smell good. Come be with me. And if that is the same oil that she has used for her business, and now is pouring it at his feet. It is another act of public humiliation, and it's also an act of her saying, listen, I'm repenting. I'm pouring out all this oil that used to be used in the past for something completely different, and I just want to anoint your feet and clean you up, Jesus. When it comes to repentance, how good are we at it? It would seem like confessing our sins is one of the hardest things we can do. And what if we would have to do it publicly? I don't mean necessarily in a church setting. If you've offended someone privately, you can go deal with that privately. But there are definitely times where you might have messed up publicly, maybe in front of two, three different families, and you know the apology will not work going to one person. You actually have to say you're sorry to a crowd. You have to sit there and humble yourself. And maybe even risk a little humiliation in which you say, I have something to say 
I was wrong. And I apologize. And yet, here's the woman in the scene. Shouldn't this kind of be a normal characteristic of Christians? This is the gospel. That we would confess our sins and acknowledge that the reason he died on the cross was to pay for those sins. That's the start of our salvation. And yet admitting where we have failed from here on out, it will cost us something. But it doesn't mean it shouldn't be happening. Repentance needs to happen. But sometimes, instead of us being like this woman, we are a lot more like Simon the Pharisee. If she was a woman who came to repent, I would say that Simon the Pharisee was someone who seemed to be interested but not willing to change. How do I know this? It says he invited Jesus to come over and eat with him. And we know the dialogue that goes on between this. Well, number one, Simon showed no hospitality at all to Jesus Christ. Again, what you might have not seen in the story is that according to Jewish custom or culture, everyone would have realized real quick, wow, Jesus was invited to this house and no one washed his feet because that was custom. No one greeted him with a kiss. We do that now, don't we? Let's think about if I invited you over to dinner at my house and you came to the door. What are you expecting? For me to go, yeah, dinner's on the table and leave you? What are you thinking? Oh, either he's in a bad mood or even worse, he really doesn't want me here. Right? That's how we would perceive it. That's what's happening. Simon is interested. He wants to hear about this Jesus. And yet at the same time, he's not sure if he's going all in. He's not going to change. He's just kind of going about. There is no hospitality whatsoever with Simon. And Jesus calls him out on it. You, you gave me no oil. You gave me no kiss. You didn't wash my feet. I just had to literally come in, lay down, and start eating. And I, I want us to see the comparison between these two people. Because the Pharisee is supposed to be better. Here's some of the things he might be thinking when we get to verse 39. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. He could very easily be thinking, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know people's character. If he knew this woman was a sinner, he would have nothing to do with her. Now, the interesting thing in this thought process, which I love when the Lord Jesus does this in the Gospels, is the Lord Jesus is proving that he's a prophet right here and there. Going, Simon, can I talk to you? I see what you're thinking about. And actually, I'm going to prove that I know what you're thinking about. <laughs> so let's address the situation. Check one. He is a prophet. He knows exactly what the man is thinking. 
and he's going to address it. But here's some of the conclusions that Simon could make in his mind. Since Jesus has accepted this woman, he must not know her character. Since he does not know this woman is a sinner, he must not be a prophet. If Jesus is not a prophet, I or others can reject him, his message, and his ministry. Because that would be the way it would go back then. If this guy is not a prophet, we don't have to listen to him at all. And obviously, he would know if he was from the Lord, what kind of woman is touching him. Hence, we don't have to listen to him at all. And the ironic thing is, is that they have missed the whole point of a sinner coming to repentance. I want us to think about what characteristics should a Christian value in another person's life? How is it that the Simon, the Pharisee, has completely missed that this lady is bawling her eyes out and is pouring oil on his feet? She is not coming into the room and laughing and giggling with Jesus. Because if that happened, now you might have a story. If this known person, this known sinner, walks into the room and just stands near Jesus and starts giggling and smiling and puts her arm around his shoulder or something like that, the room has the right to go, oh, wait a minute. What's going on? But you see, somewhere in the Pharisee mind, there's no thought of righteous judgment. It's just, she's a sinner, she's worthless. There's no, wait a minute, if she comes in crying and pouring oil on his feet. Taking her hair, which is actually even more symbolic, because in those times, Jewish women were not supposed to show her hair. The only ones that let down their hair, they would say, are the prostitutes. It's another symbol, maybe, of her taking her hair and wiping his feet, saying, I know who I am. There is not one ounce of Simon saying, let's just take a moment to see where she's at. All he's thinking about is if this guy was a prophet, he'd kick her right out. She's a sinner. Where did it come down the line of Jewish history that they thought, if someone's a sinner, we just cast them right out? There's a reason. They had daily sacrifices. <laughs> I want us to think <laughs> about what characteristics should we value. We, we've said over and over, I just think it's a good Sunday reminder. The one who knows Scripture like the back of his or her hand the one that can organize and make the best program for the church ever. These are not the things we value more than someone who has a broken spirit. Someone who's crying, saying, I've messed up. Maybe someone who is humble. I want us to know Humility is an unbelievable characteristic of a believer. 
to be humble enough to say you're wrong. To be humble enough to cry and go, I have messed up. To be humble enough to take the criticism when others point their finger at you and still serve. Still serve. That's what we should value. And again, the question begs, are we more like this woman or are we more like Simon who goes, this man has no idea who's touching him. I don't have to listen to him anymore. Jesus Christ was willing. Willing to let her do it. In this dialogue with him and Simon, he basically addresses Simon's thoughts and says, you haven't been hospitable at all to me. And yet she has. And let's go to there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? I want you to see that he starts comparing these two to Simon. Simon might not be the 50 denarii, but he knows the woman's the 500. He knows exactly who Jesus is talking about. And I want you to also understand that it was a blessing that Jesus went to his house, period. As we talk about Simon, and sometimes I beat him up a little bit in the message, I just want to take a little break to remember this. In your mind, do you think Jesus loves the woman more than Simon? Because I tend to. It's not biblical, but I tend to. Jesus loves Simon just as much as the woman. He does not play favorites. And it's hard for me reading stories like this to go, Lord, you got to love her a little more. A little bit. He doesn't. He loves Simon just as much as the woman. In fact, everyone else in the room, he loves equally. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. But he wants to expose Simon's heart. What is Jesus after? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to him whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Is Jesus all about kind of like a tally on how much he's forgiving people. Does he want to go, hey, I forgave her a lot more than you, so that should give me some kind of credit. Is that his economy in his mind? I don't think it is. The goal of Jesus Christ is saying, listen, I want people to love me. I want people to love me. I came because I love them. And by me loving them first, hopefully they will love me back. And here's the key. The more you realize I forgave you, the more you'll love me. Simon, do you have any idea how much I've forgiven you? The lady understands clearly what she's been forgiven. That's why she'll take the public humiliation... That's why she'll take out the oil and put it on his feet. That's why she'll wet his feet with her tears, his, her tears. 
She understands how much she's been forgiven. And yet, I don't think Simon does. Jesus' goal is to have both of them fall absolutely in love with him. Absolutely in love. That is what he is seeking. Now, it does turn into this. How much have you been forgiven? And how well do you forgive others? If you think spiritually you're a little dry, you don't feel like praying, you don't feel like reading your Bible, you're just kind of going through the motions, oh, it's not a fun thing to meditate on, but maybe we should meditate just how much we've been forgiven. Maybe those sins should replay a little bit in our head. Not as a guilt trip, but as a realization of how much we've been forgiven. I don't like to think about it, but sometimes I forget that I actually was on my way to hell. It's just something that should run through our minds, at least occasionally. I really was going to spend an eternity in torment, but he forgave me. And you guys know how it works now. Outside of our gospel, outside of our salvation, of us going to heaven who have repented, what about his continual forgiveness now? Why should I be blessed at all? I know what I've done. I know the mistakes I've made with people, with my wife, with my children. Why should I have any blessing whatsoever? And yet, Jesus would say, I forgive you. And when you realize that, how can I not love him? I always remember what Dwight Knight said uh, in one of his messages years ago, how can I serve another God? No one loves me like him. How can I? How can I give my time on my efforts? Anything else that I would give my time and efforts to would eventually reject me because of my faults. He's the one. That says, the more you realize how much I've forgiven you, the more you'll love me. And that's what I want. Maybe it's time we realize just how much we've been forgiven. Because in turn, when it comes to forgiving others, how well do we do? I'll read the story of Corey Temple. You might have heard this story. It's a great story. Corey Temboom, I think the movie is The Hiding Place. She was a Jew in a Nazi camp. You can read her story, but I'll give you a, a, a quick story from her life now. Corey Temboom and her family resisted the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home. They were ultimately discovered and sent to a concentration camp. Corey barely survived until the end of the war. Her family members died in captivity. Seared by this terrible trial by fire, Corey's faith in God also survived. And she spent much of her time in the post-war years traveling in Germany and elsewhere in Europe, sharing her faith in Christ. On one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room. She had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness, but her heart froze within her when she recognized the man. 
She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with the visored cap, the cruelest of the guards at the Ravensbrook camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister had died. Yet here he was at the end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. Thank you for your message, he said. How wonderful it is to know that all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness. But here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She could not extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man didn't remember her. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands? You mentioned Ravensbrook, the man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Savior. It's been hard for me to forgive myself for all... For all the cruel things I did. But I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips too. That God has forgiven me. Corey recorded her response in her book. I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds he stood there. Hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with my coldness clutching my heart. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started and my shoulder raced down my arm and sprang into my joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. This story that I share today, as I said with that Don Francisco song, the chorus would go something like this. The world thinks nothing of her, but she's beautiful. She's beautiful to me. I would like to remember as a believer that I am more probably like Simon than the woman. Not realizing how much I've been forgiven. And when it turns to forgiving others, probably being more like Simon. And yet, Jesus is saying, if you just realize how much I've forgiven you, you would love me so much more. I pray that we can be like this woman, one who's repentant. I pray we're not like Simon, who was interested but not willing to change. And I pray we will be a forgiven people and realize how much we've been forgiven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your forgiveness that we can be forgiven no matter what we do. 
that we can let go of shame and guilt. Lord, help us to, in turn, realize how much our love will grow for you when we realize how much you've forgiven us. Oh, Lord, we can serve no other. We can love no other. No one forgives like you do. Thank you so much for forgiving us. Lord, it is so easy to become like Simon. I pray that you would keep us from that. I pray that we would have repentive hearts like the woman. In your name, amen.